Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung as the traditional owners of the land this podcast was recorded on. Pays tribute to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Yarra and gives respect to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to a Yarra Libraries podcast. Last episode, we brought you Graham Simpson. This week, we're excited to bring you a local debut novelist, Laura McPhee-Brown, whose first book, Cherry Beach, has just been released by Text Publishing. In partnership with the Kiwi Darlings First Book Club, club host Ellen Cregan interviewed Laura about Toronto, housemate love, female friendship and desire. This is an edited recording. Thanks, Megan. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the format of our talk is going to be, we'll talk for about 30 minutes or so. And then, as Megan said, there'll be time for questions. And I will give you a heads up before the time comes for that. And then I'll ask another question. So you have time to sort of prevent that awkward silence that you sometimes have at question time. And just a heads up, there might be a few spoilers in this discussion. As I was saying to Laura before, you can't really spoil a literary novel, but we might. Um, if you haven't read the book yet, I apologise in advance, but I think we'll inspire you to read it. Um, there's also some pretty heavy subject matter that this book engages with, so I'd just like to give a little content warning for mental illness and suicide primarily. Uh, and first things first, I'm going to ask Laura to do a very short reading from her book. Okay, thanks, Ellen. Um, bear with me, I haven't read this section for a while. So. Ooh, it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, The House Thrummed. I'd never lived somewhere where people cared for each other so much and concentrated earnestly on the best things about being young and alive. Hetty had always been my window into this sort of thing, even though sometimes her eyes clouded over and she couldn't see anything much at all. Now I was living in a space that was fueled by an energy I'd never had. I was shy around it and only started to feel close to comfortable after I had been alone in Marjorie a few times after I'd had a chance to wander around without worrying who I would bump into and what I would say. The day after we arrived, Hetty set out and got herself a job at a bar in Kensington Market. It was a dark place with two beers on tap and cheap spirits and house wine from a box. And there was a shop across the street that made hot, greasy grilled cheese sandwiches for the drinkers who had started early and needed food. Ronnie's seemed iconic in that way that meant it would never change. The chairs were odd and broken, the toilets were sticky and smelly, and people came to drink there at lunchtime and stayed until close. I felt intimidated when I walked in, but Hetty suited it. She was angled in the right way for something cool and too dreamy to know it. Hetty was there a lot those first few weeks and needed to sleep when she wasn't, so I walked around alone each day, trying to find somewhere I thought I could see myself working, looking up at things and counting the weird dogs everyone seemed to have with them on brightly coloured leashes. It was the beginning of May by then. The weather was warming up and on my own I got to know how beautiful spring can be in Toronto. Trinity Bellwoods was bare one day and when I came back the next, flowers had bloomed everywhere. They grew where no one had planted them, like our russet coloured ones back home, but they were blue and purple and pink, like lollies. I walked all the way to High Park one morning, huffing along in a parka until I had to take it off and tie it around my waist. I had never been in such a beautiful park. 
It was impossible not to get lost because it was so wild and thick and there were hills and large green spaces, neat green spaces and thickets where dogs were allowed to jump and run. I wished so much that Hetty was there. It seemed less special on my own, though I was trying hard to be happy and in the moment and free, like everyone around me seemed to be. I sat down on a bench in the middle of nowhere, tall, thin, fresh trees standing all around and a damp forest floor and had a little cry. I was glad I was there in High Park in Toronto. It wasn't that. It was just hard sometimes to keep smiling, to keep moving and looking and trying when you sensed you were being left behind. Thank you. That was really lovely. Oh, thank you. <laughs> For those who haven't yet read the book, can you kind of summarise it in a bit of an elevator pitch? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Tricky. Well, I tried to do this the other day. It wasn't very good. <laughs> um, well, it's about two young women, best friends from Melbourne, who go and live in Toronto together. Um, and they've been best friends since they were little in primary school and uh, one of them, the protagonist, is in love with her best friend. And, yeah, they, they move over there and kind of their friendship um, is tested and, and they start to learn about themselves and grow apart, I guess, in some ways. And Yeah. So Ness is the protagonist and Hetty is the best friend. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. So my reading of the book is that it kind of has this core theme of love and all its different iterations. Mm. Is that something you intended to centre in Cherry Beach when you were thinking it up? Yeah, I think so. Um, I wanted to write about, yeah, just like the love of a close friend but also how that can, for some people, be... Um, something more and um yeah just how it's all kind of I think every love is a little bit different between depending on you and that person and so it's sort of all a bit fluid and yeah I just kind of wanted to write about that I think. And how would you categorize the love between Ness and Hetty or sort of from Hess to Nettie I suppose? Yeah so um I think Ness is gay so she's attracted to Hetty and loves her, I think, like, wants, you know, would like to be with her intimately but also knows that they wouldn't really work together and I think she's just so attached to Hetty for those reasons and because they grew up together she was almost always in Hetty's shadow but just adored her. So, but, yeah, she does know that it, it's really, that she's probably, well, she is writing the book from a few years later as well. So she, mm. she's kind of aware that she was idolising that relationship and that and the love wasn't completely real in some ways, I guess. But, yeah. And one of the other things that comes into play quite often is that Ness sees herself as a very plain person, whereas Hetty is kind of universally beloved yeah. and people <laughs> sort of fall over mm. trying to get after her. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And... Like I have a picture of Ness in my head, what she looks like, but she's not really very plain. She's yeah, she's, yeah. she thinks she's plain, <laughs> she but she doesn't not. really um, have that. She's I don't know the word, but yeah, she's just kind of not really um, kind of always just thinking about other people rather than herself. And mm. yeah, yeah. One of the things I really enjoyed about the book and the way that you write about love is that it's not just romantic love that gets the spotlight. There's familial love or like the lack of familial love that people might have, love between friends 
and other kinds. Can you speak to writing about these different kinds of relationships? And they're a bit more fringe in the book than obviously the Mm. main one, but they're definitely there. Yeah. So I guess I'm thinking about Ness falling in love with some of her housemates in Mm. little ways. Like she has a housemate called Dill who she really comes to love and a sort of enamoured love for another housemate, I think Steph. Yeah, just she loves easily. She also... I think, grows to love the woman that she works with at the cafe. And obviously, well, she falls in love with a girl there. and um, But even towards the end, still, her love for Hetty is the deepest. And Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And there's also some really nice observations about love. Um, so the spoiler is that Hetty does pass away towards the end of the book mm-hmm. and when she goes back and she's kind of looking at Hetty's parents yeah. and the love they have for Hetty and maybe the love they have for each other or they don't and the kind of drawbacks of that. Yeah, yeah, I was interested in I, – I like that those two characters because I could picture Hetty's parents really clearly in my mind and they were so different. But And actually my editor, David, was helpful with that because I couldn't seem to get across what I wanted to say about how different they were and how mm. – Ness would wonder how they could possibly be together. But David said, well, lots of people who are very different are together. Like, it's not that amazing, yeah. you know. So try to think right about it in a slightly less shocked way and that helped because, yeah, it, you just don't ever understand, uh, ever know what's happening for people behind closed doors and, Yeah. That would be quite a hard thing to write, actually, I feel, because when you look at a lot of literary relationships and that aren't, you know, a fictional, mm. there's sort of – sometimes they are a bit perfect. And that particular relationship, even though it is only in the book quite briefly, yeah. it it's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess Hetty's relationship with her dad as well is unusual. And Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Um, just to go back to Housemates – there's a really nice bond between the housemates in Hetty and Ness's house, which is called Marjorie, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so I got you to read that part um, yeah. of the book where they've just moved in. Housemate love is is such a special thing that you don't see in fiction a lot or in kind of culture that often. What made you want to write about those kinds of relationships in particular? Well, yeah, I don't think I deli- did it really deliberately, mm. but... Um, I just knew they would have to live in a big share house because they wouldn't have much money. And <laughs> I saw lots of lots of people I knew in Toronto lived in these big rambling share houses in those kind of areas like off Chinatown. Um, and it, I guess it just happened because I've lived in a few share houses in my life for quite a few, like one for five years and another for yeah. five years with lots of people coming in and out. And, you know, some of my closest friends now I met through share like living with them there so we I just I've experienced falling deeply in love with people by (laughs) living with them and it's not always perfect but yeah I think it can be so special yeah so So it's sort of writing what you know in a way yeah I I just didn't really think about it that much I sort of just did it but it ended up it must have been something about those experiences I had yeah that came through there was the really lovely image of um, one housemate cooking a curry and just not caring if everybody ate it. I really liked oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> that was, was relatable. <laughs> I feel like I am that housemate, but oh, I don't know. That's, that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think probably the two biggest loves that Cherry Beach tackles are first love and unrequited love. Mm. 
um, <clears> both of which in this case are quite ill-advised and eventually quite catastrophic as well. Um, why do you think chaotic romance or love is such a fertile subject for many authors? Because it's certainly the basis of a lot of, like, beloved books. Mm. Well, I suppose most of us have had a chaotic relationship or two. <laughs> I think um, maybe just even like for people my age or a bit older or a bit younger, we've had so many years after finishing school where we haven't been expected to settle down with someone or just choose one person. So you end up having lots of relationships, I think, a lot of the time with lots of people that aren't really right for you and you're finding out about what might be right for you and... So I guess it comes from a lot of writers probably having had those experiences and it's just the nature of loving someone I think is mm. rarely perfect or not dramatic. I think it's always a bit dramatic because <laughs> it involves the heart. So, yeah. That's really nice. <laughs> dramatic love. Yeah. Maybe not ill-advised. Dramatic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, it's also a book of queer love. So we've also – we've got Ness and Hetty who we've talked about but then there's also Ness and Faith who enter into like a real – reciprocal romantic relationship mm. um can you tell us about that relationship I guess I wanted to write about someone who just was different from Hetty around Ness like more observant maybe able to just see Ness and make her feel good about herself in a way mm. she hadn't had before because I wanted to see how she would grow within that, which she grew a little bit, it takes time. But, um, and I think I just didn't, there weren't, weren't a lot of books when I was growing up where there was queer love or that was explored or even just queer characters. Mm. So, yeah, just, and also just the idea of, I guess, um, how, yeah, it can take longer if, if you're queer to start to have relationships with some people. It doesn't happen. You know, Hetty was having relationships from much younger. Yeah. and Yeah, so it was kind of though, even though Ness is about 26 in the book, she really hadn't really had a relationship before. And it has that kind of fresh green young love feeling yeah. to it when they first get together in the book. Yeah. yeah. Which is very cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a quote about Ness and Faith that I really loved in the book that I have printed across two pages, unfortunately, oh, yeah. um, but I'll do my best. Um, Faith said goodbye and I said goodbye and I pulled myself away from her and walked down the steps to Beverly Street. I felt my heels kicking up slightly as I walked past Grange Park and down towards Shoppers Drug Mart. She was already making me move differently. I was green and lush inside. So there's like, it's like a really, there's like a lot of physicality to the crush or to the relationship there. Mm. Um, and to sort of counter that, there's this quote about Ness and Hetty. I wanted Hetty to think I was beautiful, to wonder at my body and how I moved it, to touch me in the way I wanted to touch her. It's much less of a – it's sort of more mental. It's not mm. so physical. Mm -hmm. Her desire is more to be desired when it comes to Hetty. Mm -hmm. Do you think that one of these is, like, less mature than the other or – yeah? Yeah. Well, I just thought about then um, – I guess – for Ness, she never, she never lets herself really imagine what it would be like to be with Hetty mm. because she just doesn't believe it would ever happen and doesn't necessarily want it fully to happen. So it's like she's kind of um, – it's that feeling when you just know that it's, it's not full and open and big and full of possibility. So she's kind of crouched over like this rather with faith that she's starting to feel free and – 
yeah, I guess the body does that when you feel more excited and possibility, you loosen up and, um, yeah, so I don't know if that answers the question. No, I think, I think it does. I think it does because, yeah, it's a tricky thing to write, I suppose, those physical reactions you have to having new people in your life. Mm, yeah. I think for me I just often feel like a little skip in your step when you... Totally. Yeah, yeah she does have a skip in her step. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on to setting and place, why did you choose Toronto to be the setting of the book? Uh, Well, I lived there for a couple of years, um, a few years ago, and I just loved it there. Mm. And um, I got to know it really well because I worked in a job where I had to know the whole greater Toronto area um, just for services. And then I just walked around a lot and didn't have a job for like the first five months. So I was just walking around a lot (laughs) and worrying a lot. and, yeah, and I, I left Toronto a bit prematurely because my partner and I broke up and he was Canadian. So I would have stayed a lot longer, like I didn't really want to leave. And I think not consciously I just wanted to write about it because I just wanted to go back there, yeah. So sort of like a homesickness. Yeah, a really big homesickness, oh. yeah. <laughs> and when I was like, I would picture streets, like when you were saying Beverly Street, like I know where that is and... Um, sometimes I'd know the street but I wouldn't know the street name so I spent a lot of time looking at the map and Mm. um, yeah I really miss it. (laughs) Well the descriptions in the book are so vivid they're really like you feel like you're really there yeah like even the section I got you to read I tried to choose one that was like I don't know put you very much in that place yeah with the flowers yeah (laughs) yeah Um, beautiful parks there now I'm just plugging Toronto (laughs) (laughs) everyone visit Toronto (laughs) Um, there's a really lovely magical moment in the book. Um, so Faith, Nessa's girlfriend, is obsessed with going to this particular Korean supermarket because she's heard somewhere that Margaret Atwood shops there. Mm. And then one day they, they go to the supermarket and Margaret Atwood is actually buying <laughs> groceries. Why did you put Margaret in? Oh, I was always looking out for Margaret. Oh, were you? Because <laughs> I knew she shopped, she lived in Korea. Well, she lives in the annex in, in Toronto and that's right near Koreatown. And um, there were a few times I went into a Korean supermarket because I heard she buys a lot of chilli sauce there <laughs> and kimchi. Um, I don't know where I heard this, but, um, yeah, so I love a lot of Margaret Atwood's books. Some of them I don't like at all, but some of them have just been really important books in my mm. life and I just find her such an interesting person. She's like a little yeah. pixie. <laughs> yeah. She's an amazing person and she's yeah. she's this kind of author who's like – you know, is she in her 80s now? And she's still so up to date yeah, with her ideas. Incredible. Yeah. I saw like a video of her the other day on Twitter on like a little one of those motorized Yeah, I saw scooters. that too. Yeah. <laughs> on a scooter. And she was riding around. Yeah. It was very cute. Very funny. <laughs> so that's why I think I just wanted to put her in there. Yeah. To imagine that you had seen her yeah, one of those times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, each chapter in the book is named for a body of water or something related to water. Uh, why did you sort of structure it this way? Um, again, I don't really know. Yep. <laughs> um, I just love water and I think Hetty loves water in the mm. book. She's obsessed with water. I mean, it's the way it's her demise in the end. Yeah. Um, so also because when I was in Toronto, I, I've spoken about this before, but... Um, I just could not believe that Lake Ontario was um, 
not the the ocean. Like mm. it just because you can't see the other side. It's just so big, and I just couldn't fathom it. Like I didn't understand a great lake. Like how can it be that big? And it has an island on it, and there's beaches, and that just didn't make sense to me. So I just I just wanted to, yeah, I just, and then I was like, wow, there are so many beautiful names of things to do with water. And, yeah. Well, they're all very lovely words. And they are nice yeah. words, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and had quite poetic definitions a lot of the time, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, towards the end, there are some really nice images and quotes that you have around sort of loss and grief. This is after Hetty's death. Um, and I thought there was one that brought everything together quite neatly. Um so it's Ness talking about Hetty after she's gone back to Melbourne after Hetty's died. Um, when I knew I loved her and I didn't let it out, when I realised we might not want the same things anymore but I didn't want to talk to her about it, I was trying to stop the flow. But the flow, the current, was unavoidable. So for me, this quote sort of blends those watery images that we have throughout the book mm-hmm. with those of Ness and Hetty's ill-fated relationship and towards the end ill-fated fated friendship because they do sort of fall out at the end. Mm. Um, and implies how Ness might move on after Hetty's death, which is a hugely defining moment for her. Did everything sort of slot into place around this quite easily or did you have to work hard for this metaphor? It did, yeah. Yeah, That's really nice. (laughs) Funnily enough, because also um, there's a a, a bridge in Toronto in the east side that has a quote written above it that's um, this river I step in is not the river I stand in. Um, which is like a really old philosophical quote. I think it's Heraclitus Mm. that all is flux is another way of saying it. Um, And it sort of just came to me that that that's what had happened in the book. I don't know. I can't really describe how that came together, but it just did. Yeah. Just serendipitous I guess yeah I think there's kind of there's almost two kinds of authors there's the serendipity authors and then there's like the post-it notes on everything authors yeah I'm not the post-it notes person (laughs) I don't think everybody could be yeah and you're probably both jealous of each other yeah oh I would love to yeah yeah um so sort of more onto shop talk now what was the book's journey to publication yeah so um I was very lucky because when I was writing when I started writing the book, I just wrote on my website that I was writing a novel. Like, mm. I don't know why. And then text contacted me to say, we'd love to read what you've written and because um, we've read short stories of yours. And that was um, a publicist who no longer is there, Nadia, who, Nadia Poljo, who told David and then David wanted to read it. And so then... I worked quite hard on it for a while after that and then sort of submitted a bit of it and then submitted the whole first draft a while later. Yeah. Um, And can you just hold the book up so you can show us the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cover, (laughs) which everyone has been very taken by. Um, Can you tell us about that as well? Yeah, that was a really long process. So, um, So Imogen from text, who's not here, but she's the art, She's the head designer, or yeah, um, and she well, she designed this. So she started off thinking about wanting to do like a piece of art and mm. have just kind of because there's an art background. connection in the book as well. Like they, she goes to yeah. the galleries and and Faith is very interested in art. Have I yeah. remembered that right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah. Ness is in her own way. Yeah. And, um, 
And I actually also said to Imogen, I'd love like a piece of art on the front and a white background. Mm. And then she thought that was a good idea too. And then she had a piece of art that she'd found that was really beautiful. And then that was a French um, artist who just said, no, I don't want you to use it. And then the same thing happened with a Spanish piece of art. She said, no. And we were, this took a long time and it was hard because I, and then there was another cover I didn't even see because they were just like, we don't want to keep disappointing you. Um, And this took months and then it got really, really close to like needing a cover. Like even my books and publishing review didn't have a cover Mm. in it. And um, Imogen just found this artist who's, who's from Melbourne, Emma Curry, and got her to actually draw something, paint something just for the book, which is so special. So it turned out really well, but it was very hard. It's <laughs> just such a gorgeous cover. I think it was worth yeah, it for it was. sure. I was really, I really was worried because I just, I was like, she can't possibly come up with any more beautiful covers and then it was just the perfect one. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> so. Custom made as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how have you felt so, – I know it's very fresh, but how have you felt so far about the book's reception by readers and reviewers? Because they're sort of – they'd be trickling in now, wouldn't they, the reviews? Yeah. 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 Well, your review was lovely. Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> um, it's been really good, really positive. Um, I read something on Goodreads today. Someone said, I didn't connect at all with the characters, but I still thought it was good. I was like, oh. okay. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> well, there's a lot you can take from this book that's not – character driven as well like I was saying the descriptions are so vivid and lovely and you could you really could read it for that but you could yeah you couldn't if you found them annoying the characters (laughs) because they're over the top yeah um yeah so it's been really really good I can't believe it yeah Mm. um and who were some authors who you were influenced by while you were writing maybe Margaret Atwood (laughs) yeah maybe yeah well um she writes really well about female friendships I think and relationships one of her book The Robber Bride I don't know if you've heard of that it's amazing it's really dark the relationships are dark in that but um I'm terrible with these questions (laughs) (laughs) yeah I just wrote something for Kill Your Darlings the shelf reflection thing but I can't remember what I wrote in it now (laughs) um I just read all sorts of things and I guess my favorite author is Margaret Drabble who's like a older English author Mm. Um, and her books are often, well, they're almost, I think they're always women protagonists and lots of female friendships and her style I just love and I think I was just rereading a lot of her books while I was writing and also poetry I find really just if I'm feeling a bit like I don't feel like writing, reading a bit of poetry I love just makes me want to write again, Mm. like, yeah. So. And, and what sort of books – we've asked questions for – sorry, I've asked questions for those who haven't read the book yet, but for those who have read the book, what kind of books do you think you'd recommend for someone yeah. who really loved Cherry Beach? Well, people are saying Sally Rooney, but I actually don't at all think – like I actually love her books so much, but mm. I can't I can't understand the comparison. Like it just doesn't I seem... thought Sally Rooney when I really? read this. Okay. Yeah. Not yeah. Not in every way. But there's like a – there's an edge to it. Yeah, I just feel like she's, I'm, my it's so earnest. Like if she read this, she'd be like, oh, this is so bad. Um, but, yeah, I guess like Sally Rooney um, and then like Jennifer Downs' mm. novel, not her short stories, that's quite different. But um, 
and I guess like Anne Tyler, even Carol Shields, who's like a um, Canadian author, I think, who writes women and, yeah, kind of a bit more old-fashioned stuff, I guess. Mm. But, yeah. But that's nice. I feel like, you know, you've just got to write the book that you want to write, not yeah. write what you think is going to be good at that particular time because yeah. trends change. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, mm. yeah. So this is – no, sorry, I'm going to ask one more question about the structure of the book. So sort of towards the close of the novel, we jump back into a summer just around the time Hetty and Ness are finishing school – and then after that, we go back forward to when the book's actually sort of being written from, if that makes sense. And that's after they've spent time, Hetty and Ness lived in Canada, obviously. Um, even though I devoured this book in about two sittings, the these jumps in time made me feel like I'd been reading it for a really long time and it was this nice shimmery memory. Was the structure something that you had from the start or was it a later thing that you were playing around with? Um, well... I, the structure of going back in time was there from the first draft, but I didn't have that end, um, that last back in time section. Mm. Um, it, and David suggested that. So I just wrote it because he thought that would be a good idea. He, he didn't really suggest when, I don't think, but I thought maybe just at the end of high school because I hadn't written about that time. Mm. And um, I grew up in Warrandyte, so I spent all my time at the Yarra and it was just very easy to write that. But then I submitted that, what I'd written to him, and he was like, this isn't quite right. So that that bit took a little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah, the ending. I couldn't really, it wasn't quite clear on how to end it after Hetty had passed away. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing that it sort of made me feel was that that time in Canada then becomes a tangent out of like what you might call real life. Mm-hmm. I guess, for, for Ness yeah. uh, particularly. W- would you agree with this? Say that again. So she. So I sort her. of felt like yeah. Canada then becomes a tangent out of Ness's life. So like she is in Melbourne, she goes away and it's kind of this weird chapter that she closes off yeah. and then she comes back. Would you sort of agree with my reading of that? I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I imagine her to just have a, a nice happy life from then on, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Well, that's the kind of vibe that you get towards the end. She's yeah. she's in a grown-up relationship and it seems a lot healthier, even the one that she had with Faith. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and this is my last question I'm going to ask before all you people are going to ask questions. So have them ready. What impact do you hope your book will have on its readers? Mm, I haven't. <laughs> um, well, it's nice to know people are reading it quickly and that they can't put it down because I love when I have a book like that. So that's good. I'm not the only one as well. I think yeah, Alan I've had the same experience. Yep. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> just, I guess, for young women, I just hope that they might read it and think, oh, there's all different types of ways to be and people, like, types of love and um, that's probably all, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really nice vision for a book. Hmm. Thanks. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, does anybody have a question? Megan's going to take the microphone around, I believe. Oh, here's one here. Hi. That was great. Thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs> um, I was just wondering how the idea for Cherry Beach started. Was it uh, um, what came to you first? Was it the relationship or the character of the protagonist or the mm. setting? Like, what was your starting point? Well, um, actually wanted to write a book set in Toronto, but when I first wanted to write it, I actually thought it was going to be completely different and um, I wanted to write a book where, like, 
there was this feeling I had when I lived there that it almost wasn't real, like I was on the set of a movie or something, particularly because in Toronto they film a lot of movies there. So most American movies are filmed in Toronto. It's really bizarre. They have those basement houses and I just was like, I've grown up seeing these places on movies and I just felt, I wanted to write about like that weird feeling of it being fake but then somehow it actually being fake. So it was going to be like a magic realist novel, completely different. Yeah, and then I just started writing. It just didn't turn out like that at all. So, yeah. And then I just wanted to write about a girl who was in love with her best friend. I just, I don't know why I just wanted to write about that. So that's how it started. (laughs) Yeah. I have one for the moment. Um, so there's a brief period where um, both girls visit a camp of a certain unnamed um, oh, yeah. <laughs> young adult writer who also runs a school. Um, so I was just curious, did you go on the John Marsden writing camp? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, not on the writing camp, but I, my ex-partner, my Canadian ex-partner, had to do woofing or he had to do work for his visa, two-year visa, when he lived here. And um, we John Marsden's school... I think he has two now, but it was he only had one then, and it was you could do it there. Um, he did work. I didn't do any work. I just lay around. But we were there for a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. So I'm just curious to know about your experience going from someone who has primarily written and edited short fiction um, to then working on or writing and working on, and then having edited a novel-length work, a novel-length manuscript, how that sort of shift was for you or mm. whether you were doing different things at the same time? Or Yeah. Um, I didn't really write anything else when I was writing it for the most part. I think I worked a little bit on a few short stories, but I liked, like, because you just have... It's like, a, it's like a slog, but you're in it and you're in it for a long time and you don't get that with a short story. It's um, just... You don't, just, you don't get to know the characters as well and you just don't get to immerse yourself in it day after day. So I just really enjoyed that even though it was hard and a lot of the time I didn't really feel like writing it but I just kept writing tiny bits most days for quite a long time and then I enjoyed the editing process but I had to learn a lot about how to be patient because I'm not a patient person and I would have just put it out like a year ago. Oh, it's fine, just put it out. But David's like... No, <laughs> and you have to just – yeah, he said it's not a sprint, like it's a marathon, and which was hard, but it's been really good to see that I can do that and that I'm actually much more pleased with the final result. So, <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask you about writing sex scenes because <laughs> um, I thought the sex – in the book was incredibly well done. It's like um, somewhere that writers can fall down a lot, I think, Mm. in writing kind of cringy or embarrassing sex scenes. (laughs) I was just wondering sort of how you approached writing them, if there was any sex writing by other writers that you were inspired by or um, Mm. or sort of why you wanted to include sex in that way, I guess. Um, Yeah, I... I just kind of was a bit sort of like sense. I was just like, remember experiences you've had and like just remember how it felt and what it would be like with these two people with their kinds of bodies and minds. And then I just kind of wrote it. And um, I really enjoyed writing those bits actually, yeah. And um, 
wanted to have it be like quite sexy but also a bit awkward just a bit because Ness is just so shy and like learning to be seen as a sexual object and think or not an object but um, a sexual being and I was reading quite a lot of poetry and I think like Adrian Rich like probably not anyway she writes a lot of queer sex poems like it's not you wouldn't necessarily know it's about sex but um yeah I think I was reading a bit of that and yeah, so that's it. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering how you went, um, because you loved Toronto so much and you miss it so much, mm. did you find it really hard, like, constantly re-immersing yourself? Because there's experiences mm. where I've lived overseas where I'm like, I'd love to write about that, but I just know it would hurt a lot yeah. and I want to know how you dealt with that. <laughs> I think if I was writing about my own experiences, it would have been really hard. Like, I don't really want to write much about that because I just... Yeah, I can't go there. I don't know if I'll ever be able to. It's weird. Um, I don't, didn't really know. I kind of really did feel like I was inhabiting it again, but like not me, but like kind of remembering it and in an, in not in a sort of too personal way, I guess. Yeah. yeah interesting. A good question. <laughs> yeah. I'll be interested to hear what yeah. someone thinks who's actually from Toronto because no one who's has read it yet who's from Toronto that I know of so that'll be interesting hmm. just um bouncing off that last question do you do you think that if you were to go back to Toronto now having written the book do you think you would look at the city differently or hmm. or look at your book differently if you were to sort of take it back there with you yeah, well, I'd like to go to all the places that are in it because they're all real. Like, Ronnie's is a real bar that I spend a lot of time at. And, like, Cold Tea, where they have their first date, that's a real bar. And I'd just like to go and see everything again, but I'm sure it would have changed. It's probably changed a lot. I used to... I, I, did, I had a writing group that I started in Toronto and we met at a cafe basically every weekend for, like, a year. It was really special. But that cafe's gone now, which is really sad. Yeah. So I really want to go back there, but I think it will be really intense, and particularly now because of the book. Yeah, I'm not sure how it will be. Yeah. Good questions, everyone. Mm. I have one more maybe dreaded question for you. Oh. What are you working on now? Oh, yeah. What's book two? <laughs> um, well, I'm working on a new novel, but it's like I'm only 8,000-ish words in. But I know what I want it to be about, so it's different a bit this time. I'm very clear on... What what hopefully will be, mm. yeah. You're not becoming a post-it note person. No, then? not a no. post-it note. Though. Yeah, I'm just not. I'm not very organised. But it kind of, I do. Ha I've tried to do a bit of a chapter outline. Mm. So it's a new thing. We just yeah. go with the flow. This is a very flowy book, and I think that's why yeah. it's so easy to kind of lose yourself to it. Is it's super flowy. Oh, like, that's good. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you. And if you haven't read it. You will also love it. You can buy copies over here. Text are selling them. And then there's also copies of the wonderful KYD short story anthology mm. on the same table. Um, thank you so much, Laura. It was so nice to talk to you. And thank you, everyone, for coming and asking great questions as well. Thank you. Thanks, Ellen. <laughs> that was Laura McKee-Brown in conversation with Ellen Cregan at Bukungunanyan North Fitzroy Library for the Kuya Darlings First Book Club. If you want more fantastic debut writers, make sure you follow the Kuya Darlings First Book Club on their website where you can find new commentary, criticism, memoir, and other non-fiction every single week. If it's author talks you're after, join us at Bagunganangian North Fitzroy Library in early March to hear Minnie Dark and Tony Jordan discuss the romantic tropes they love and love to hate. <laughs>
as well as Minnie's new book, The Lost Love Song. If you're keen to read Cherry Beach or any other new Australian fiction, please pop into your local branch or place a reservation online. In the meantime, Yarra Libraries promises to leave the Red Hot Reads on the shelf for at least an hour before succumbing to temptation. Don't worry, we're professionals. We'll have them back in no time. Happy reading! <laughs>